Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So today is October 29th, 2019. Two days until Halloween. Two days until this Brexit deadline. Two days until we get some treats for them tricks, right? So this is going to be um, a pretty exciting time. I did tell you trick or treat. Did you see the trick that was pulled? The vote. What's going to be the treat for their trick? That's the question everyone needs to be asking themselves right now. We've been talking about trick or treat for a while. Now, today I want to talk about Alex Vindman, uh, you know, this double agent. The president literally called him a double agent. And what people don't know is that literally he has a twin. And uh, I want to talk about him. I want to talk a little bit about uh, what the Democrats are doing. I want to talk about what's happening on the Durham side. And then in the second hour, we're going to have Daphne Barak. She has uh, written books that are, you know, very widely known. And she had the exclusive with Rick Gates. Now, is he a good guy, a bad guy? Daphne will tell us. Uh who he is. Who is Rick Gates? Was he the good guy or the bad guy? And, you know, maybe she can give us some insight on when did Mueller actually know there was no Russia collusion? Was it before the midterms in 2018? That is the million dollar question. So we'll have that in the second hour. So don't forget to tune in. Um, there is so much going on. I mean, yesterday, uh, we saw the mainstream media literally support a terrorist. WAPO put out an obituary, an obituary. Like I saw this and I was thinking, okay, this has to be a joke, a super joke. There's no way the Washington Post would call him, you know, an ISIS leader, a visionary. Guys, did you see that? Like that is pretty insane. I've never seen it. And NPR actually praised Baghdadi that he was a real leader in a movement they've never seen before. Now I have a super duper article coming out from my time in the Middle East where Baghdadi was actually tried in these Arab nations. You know, a lot of people seem to think that every single, you know, um, Muslim is bad. They hate Islamic terrorism. They hate people that taint their religion because it makes them look bad. People just want to get on with it. Uh, so it is, uh, pretty insane. You know, the spokesman, uh, Abu Hassan al Muhajir, um, it was also killed in Syria. That broke, uh, yesterday. And, you know, now it was announced. Uh, who is Muhajir? Do you know that he actually wrote the booklet on how to be like a radical terrorist. I kid you not. Like these are the things that they omit. Now, yesterday in discussions, you know, cause you know, the best kind of reporting is the one that you do with people, you know, understand policy and you get together and you discuss things to come to the conclusions or to come to some form of uh, result. Right. And here we have, uh, discussions that I had yesterday. And what I realized was, is that, did you know that Washington, the Washington Post is funded by Qatar? So basically, WAPO is Al Jazeera. 
like legit. That would be the only reason that they would put out an obituary for a terrorist. I mean, I've never seen that in my life. I feel like, you know, opposite day, opposite world. You know, it's pretty insane. Uh, the president obliterated completely one of the world's most dangerous terrorists on the fact that he was a recruiter. He raped, murdered people. I mean, how can the Washington Post have a guy like Boot blast our president? You know what? I was talking <laughs> with someone yesterday, and we couldn't stop laughing because, you know, the president of the United States said he died like a dog, like a coward, whimpering, screaming, and crying, and he was scared out of his mind. But you know what? For these radicalized terrorists, you know, that are radically um, following their, I would say, religious ideologies, I don't know how you would call it, because anyone that is either you be Christian, uh, Judaism, Bo- well, I don't know about Buddhism, but <laughs> Judaism, Christianity, that have some vicious aspects in them, right? If you were to take it literal and be a fanatic, it, it's pretty extreme. I mean, there's Christians that think killing you for blasphemy is okay, right? Because we have radicalization in all factions of religion. But in the Muslim, you know, in Islam, you know, it's... Dogs are, are hated. Could you imagine how awesome it is that he was bitten by a dog, which is like the worst thing. So that means that he's not going to get his 72 virgins when he dies. And the president to troll on that more was like showing screenshots of this dog just to let them know. And it was the ultimate troll for the ones that it would trigger. Right. And I don't, I don't think people get that, but Regardless, what we saw is that um, Max Boot of Weipo kind of said the assertion that Baghdadi died as a coward was contradicted by the fact that rather than be captured, he blew himself up. Well, he was bitten by a dog before that. So, hey, and the fact that he was trying to say, oh, he died an honorable death. This is what I interpreted it as that the Washington Post is trying to say it was an honorable death to die. Um, by blowing yourself up and it wasn't like a coward. Um, you know, he was a raping terrorist, he said. Um, the raping terrorist actually courageous because he blew himself up and his children up. That is exactly what Boot argued. This is an American writer for Waypo or AKA Al Jazeera, right? Um, writing this. It, it was so, Incredible. And you know, they're kind of taunting the president to release audio and video. I mean, don't give them the satisfaction. Just let it be. We don't need to give them anything. Let them, you know, stay there and foam at the mouth and be upset. I would give them nothing. Personally, absolutely nothing. So I thought today what we could do is kind of uh, visit... Okay, uh, the Vinman um, discussions. So we have Alex Vinman. He went and he's like, you know, talking about uh, President Trump. Uh, he's talking about all these things, and it, and it makes you wonder, guys. Like, 
wh- how, why is this happening? How is he a soldier, first of all, okay? Like, I don't understand how he's a soldier. Uh, we need to do better, a better job in who we allow within intelligence. Because I, I don't see how this is okay. I really don't see how this is even okay. Because he's horrific. Horrific to even say the things he's saying. Horrific to even testify the things he's testifying. Remember, this is a guy who was giving advice to a foreign nation on how to counter our foreign policy. Uh, that's treason. That is legit to the T treason. So, how is he being paraded around? So he got a Purple Heart. There's a lot of people that have gotten awards that are equivalent to the Purple Heart that have no name. Oh, no. Long, yeah, long and... Okay, sorry about that. Uh, obviously, uh, it's a little bit of a technical difficulty. I wanted to play a little clip, but it's not working for me. Look, treason is done. This guy was in the Ukraine and he was trying to educate, okay, educate the actual, um, say it, uh, the, um, the actual Ukrainians how to counter whatever a president is saying and doing. That's really a problem. I don't see how anyone doesn't see that as a very big problem. Uh, it's horrific to think about it. This guy, who was an immigrant, an immigrant of what they say Ukrainians, um, that came here and was brought up here, so became a U.S. citizen and decides that he is going to serve his country. And the thing is, how does he serve his country? By telling another country how to counter it? By being the guy who's saying that, oh, I didn't mean it like this, I meant it like that. I mean, the things that he came out with is incredible. So, like I said, first things first, this guy is actually a twin, firstly, okay? Um, he's a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army as an, and an immigrant. This is what he keeps saying. I'm an immigrant, too, if you want to say it. Well, no, I'm not. I was born and bred in the United States. My parents were immigrants. He was a legit immigrant. He came here afterwards. Um, so it's, um, pretty incredible how no one, uh, talks about him and what he's done. Uh, so he is supposedly a top Ukrainian expert, right? And he, uh, is apparently, uh, talking to White House impeachment investigators when the vote hasn't even been done, but they're investigating. Okay. See, that was their trick. And he twice reported about President Trump's pressure tactics on the Ukraine acting out of a sense of duty. Again, BS. Listen to Rachel Maddow, what she has to say. I just want you to listen to this so that you can hear between the words the rubbish they are spewing, okay? I want you to listen to it carefully because she tells you everything there is to know. I knew tonight was too quiet. Uh, here we go. 
Right on schedule. Uh, breaking news this hour from The New York Times um, about the impeachment proceedings. Uh, you see the headline here. Army officer on White House staff reported concerns on Trump's Ukraine dealings. Uh, this is from Danny Hakim at The New York Times. The subhead tonight sort of says a lot about what this new reporting is. Quote, the top Ukraine expert at the White House will tell impeachment investigators he twice reported concerns about President Trump's pressure tra- tactics on Ukraine, acting out of a, quote, sense of duty. Uh, Here's the lead. Wow. Um, A White House national security official who's a decorated Iraq war veteran plans to tell House impeachment investigators tomorrow that he heard President Trump appeal to Ukraine's president to investigate one of his leading political rivals, a request the aide considered so damaging to American interests that he reported it to a superior. Lieutenant Colonel Alexander S. Vindman of the U.S. Army, the top Ukraine expert on the National Security Council, twice registered internal objections about how President Trump and his inner circle were treating Ukraine out of what he called a, quote, sense of duty. That's according to a draft of his opening statement that's been obtained by The New York Times. Colonel Vindman will be the first White House official to testify who listened in on the July 25th telephone call between President Trump and President Zelensky of Ukraine. Wait a minute. Did she say that he listened in on the phone call? Did you hear that? He listened in, but in his testimony, which I'm going to tell you about, he says he's not the whistleblower. So um, I can tell you, we know that it's a wiretap, okay? We know this, and I'm taking it as fact. Anybody can dispute me and say whatever they want. But, you know, he obviously can't admit that he's a whistleblower because he's going to be locked up in the brig forever. He should be locked up in the brig forever for offering advice to a foreign nation on how to counter our foreign policy. That's exactly what he did. But here she is telling you that he listened in on the phone call. Take a listen. The call that is at the center of the impeachment inquiry. Colonel Colonel Vindman says in his statement, quote, I did not think it was proper to demand that a foreign government investigate a U.S. citizen. And I was worried about the implications for the U.S. government's support. Wait a minute. The president, not once in that phone call, did he demand the investigation of a U.S. citizen? We have the transcript of the call. So here he is pulling a shift. Claiming that, you know, our president demanded that something be investigated when the investigation has been going on for a while. You guys, these people are saying, oh, you know, for example, the letter that the Senate sent to Attorney General Barr is stating that he's tainted and he's in the fix and he needs to recuse himself because, you know, he's investigating Biden and he's involved with Giuliani, blah, blah, blah. You do realize that Giuliani was investigating this Ukraine corruption stuff because of the Manafort thing. We're going to go into Rick Gates, um, uh, you know, in the second hour. But it goes back to Manafort to see how he can reclaim remedies for his client, which happens to be the president of the United States, hence why he was there. Now, as they were following the money, and this is Durham, this is before Attorney General Barr was even nominated, they were doing this, before he was nominated. So how is Attorney General Barr involved? I don't know. How is it that the president demanded an investigation when he had this phone call in July of 2019, but the investigation started in mid-2018? Like fully started.
So that makes absolutely no sense. These people are creating their own timelines. Maybe they have time warps and, you know, time collapsed on itself. And boom, from like, you know, May 2018, we're suddenly in July of 2019. And that's when it started. Facts, 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 guys. This guy came into the White House after the investigation started. Then when was planted into the White House by people that shouldn't have been there. Like I say it again and again, we really have to be careful who we slot into the White House, who we slot into military intelligence. We have all these foreign nationals that we believe, you know, would be a benefit to us because they understand culture, localization, and languages. And then we put them into our military intelligence, into our government intelligence agency. Agency when you know what people don't get is that they can't be impartial like I can I can be dead honest with you okay I'm a US citizen I was born in the United States but if ever it came down that I was you know let's pretend I was you know in a position where they tell me you need to um, do this against you know the Greek people I'm just saying I wouldn't be able to do it and that's not even my country but it's because I'm culturally connected because that is my heritage. I would say you need to recuse me from that because I can't be 100% impartial. Now, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't be able to execute the assignment, but it is, um, it's kind of like a doctor. You can't operate on your relative because you're connected to them. So how do they expect a clown like Vinman who came to the United States as an immigrant to be impartial in the Ukraine? This is where the insanity lies, okay? This is where we have a problem. You know, we're bringing these, you know, Africans, these, you know, Arab nation persons, everyone, all these migrants and refugees, and we're sticking them into our military intelligence and training them when they have no business being there because, unfortunately, they can never be impartial. Like I said, think of it, doctor operating on the family member. You can't do that. You know, especially if they're refugees or if they were born in another nation and raised in a, for me, I just have my whole family in Europe. So it would be really, really difficult for me to do something that I know would eradicate a portion of their history, would change their cultural norms. It would be difficult. Not saying that I wouldn't be able to do it. Don't get me wrong, but it would be done under great duress. And that is where someone would say, I'm sorry, I cannot. Do-. This is where people need to say, I'm sorry, I can't do it. Even though, you know, I'd be an expert in doing X, Y, Z. This is where I draw the limit because, you know, I'm too attached. It's a personal thing. And this is me being 100% America first. I would be able to acknowledge kind of like, you know, um, when my kid um, had to have surgery, right? I was really concerned, you know, she had to put like little tubes and I, I could have sat in and my, uh, attending professor, you know, was like, you can, I, I couldn't, I mean, I could watch it from a window if I wanted to, I could be in the room to watch, you know, this is my baby. And a lot of people feel comfortable with doing that. I couldn't because I'm way too attached, you know, start crying, uh, when my dog, you know, cut his leg. I sewed it together, but I was crying while I was doing it because I refused to go, you know, to the vet and pay them $300 to put in four stitches when I could do it myself. You know, I'm just saying I'm not a vet or anything, but pretty good at stitches and it looks great too. But I'm just saying you get too attached and Vinman is a double agent. He's got an actual twin. 
I'm going to repeat this. He's got an actual twin. And the reason I say this is because it's very important. He has an actual twin. And here we have an army officer who might have gotten a piece of shrapnel in his leg or his butt, something, and was provided, you know, an award to show that he was a scarred in war. And a lot of people, not just, you know, the ones that are wearing uniform, but non-uniforms get awards like that. Wrong place, wrong time, right? It doesn't mean anything. That's not something you can use and say, oh, you know, I got, you could get a paper cut you know, during the time of war, per se, not saying, and still be awarded, okay? Let's be let's be honest. You can get, you know, a little abrasion and still be awarded, I, per se. Okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to undermine the value of it. But what they're trying to do is overvalue it to obfuscate the fact that he's not impartial, that he committed treason, and he should never be in the U.S. Army in the first place. And the question is, not only who are we putting in the White House, but who are we putting in our upper ranks that actually get involved in foreign policy? And, you know, uh, one thing that I've been saying for a very long time, it is very difficult for someone to understand cultural nuances and deep-seated relationships uh, between nations, but basically foreign policy, if they themselves don't understand culture. Uh, you have to be culturally intelligent, per se, to understand why certain things happen. So this is how we get idiots... Uh, you know, conducting foreign policy and working desks like the Russian desk, the Ukrainian desk, the French desk, whatever that may be, that are completely idiots when it comes to culture. They think, oh, yeah, I know this. They say words like this because they really mean this. That does not mean that you are culturally attuned to it. These are things that you learn from a young age. You can't take an adult, throw them into the Defense Language Institute, and expect to spit out someone that would experience and know what these foreign nations are in positions of working the, the 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 state department desk you need child's children that were born and raised in the united states of migrants so they get that cultural influence right and then you train them to be able to utilize those skills. Localization skills are skills that you build from a young age. You cannot teach someone that. This is why they say, oh, you can't learn a language when you're older. Guys, I'm struggling with Chinese, like for real. And and in uh, languages like boom, boom, Chinese is hard because I don't understand the culture yet around it. That's why I'm watching all of these Chinese telenovelas, you know, to understand the, the Chinese dynamic and how communism works and how they're acceptant of it and what it's like, you know. That's how you learn a, a culture. People would say is through the language, but it's actually living it. So while we break down Vinmin today, I want you guys, you know, during the break to just think, this is a guy who came here from the Ukraine and the Ukraine was a country that had just broke off communism, right? They were dependent on decisions. They suddenly were free falling and had no idea what to do. This is how you create 
corruption. This is how smart people install their own things, kind of like we did in Upper Volta in the early 80s, right, with Peter Strzok's dad. We destroyed the nation. We created Burkina Faso. We redistributed borders, right? And suddenly we have all these um, NGOs there, and that was strategic. I mean, gold mines, the yellow cake uranium by the Niger River. You know, there's so many natural resources to exploit, and that is exactly why they targeted the Ukraine. If it was something like that had the landscape of Arizona that had absolutely zero to provide except be maybe a backdrop for a movie on Mars per se, uh, you know, or make, you know, videos portraying Mars per se, no one would be interested in the Ukraine. It would be a broke country with absolutely nothing to offer. But because it was so rich in natural gas, everybody pounced. And that is the country his parents came from. And while he was in the United States, he experienced his culture. He uh, went to church. He went to Ukrainian school. You know, we teach him the language, like at the church. Uh, he hung around with the other Ukrainian Americans, right? He hung out with all the Russian and Ukrainian kids and all the Eastern Orthodox kids, um, uh, you know, joined in the traditions because that's what migrants do when they come to the United States. They create like these pockets of communities. I mean, I was part of the Greek American community. I still am. And this is where the problem lies, that when you have that culture so deeply embedded and then you have a twin, I say it again. It is very hard for him to, I mean, who made the decision to take this guy and work the Ukrainian death? Who made him the expert on the Ukraine when he cannot be impartial? His grandma, his parents telling him stories about the Ukraine, how they suffered under Russia, how they need this, how they need that, and how well connected he is in the Ukraine. See, people need to look into family histories. People need to look into what connections his parents had with who in the Ukraine before they give him titles and clearances and make him work desks. I really wish people would stop hiring these globalist clowns. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So things are, um, you know, totally heating up with Alex Vindman. And it's such a great prelude to the next hour where I have Daphne Barak talking about Rick Gates, the Ukraine and, and everything else in between. So it's going to be really exciting. I've had numerous conversations with her. Um, you know, we love her. Red State loves her. Um, and, you know, obviously um, her husband, Bill Nasty, who's putting out the book, The Trump Card, where he talks about the dynamics of Erdogan and President Trump. And, you know, um, his take is um, a more, I would say, Turkophile friendly take. And, you know, guys, I'm always open to impartiality, right? I may have my opinion, but I'm always listening. And on that note, I just wanted to say, um, you know, Tiana Lowe just um, tweeted out, you know, oh, we're supposed to believe that a Purple Heart recipient who spent two decades serving in the U.S. military and then another is an Army Foreign Service area officer secretly holds primary allegiance to the Ukraine where he fled, um, what did she say, where he fled um, uh, as a Jewish refugee at the age of three. Yes, she's so dumb. See, uh, you know, and, and this doesn't mean to be disrespectful to anyone, but American culture is completely different to any other nation's culture, okay? 
We have to acknowledge that our nation is a baby. We're infant. We are an infant. Aside from Burkina Faso that's been around for 20 years, right? Because, well, 40 years because we created it. I just want us to understand as a nation, as a culture, Americana, as you would say, it's all borrowed culture, right? We've taken hamburgers, hot dogs. Okay, we invented baseball and stuff like that. But we are a melting pot. We're supposed to be the Atlantis, that extraordinary place where uh, everyone from everywhere can sit down and solve a problem. How many times have I said this example? Take a room and throw in, let's pretend, all of them to be Ukrainian, right? You get a room full of Ukrainians and you give them a problem. Then you get a room full of Americans. So you got your Indian migrant in the flip-flops, okay? You got the chick with the rainbow color mermaid hair and the ear expanders that's a witch that has, you know, a gender <laughs> studies degree. You've got your, you know, Jewish American lawyer. You've got your Italian American doctor. You've got your Greek American, you know, professor in something. You've got all these random people. You've got a Russian American housewife, you know, whatever. And so 10 and 10. And you give them the same problem. Who's going to give you the best solution? First of all, you're going to get a million solutions from the room of Americans because they come from all these walks of life. They wear all these types of shoes. All of them wear different music. And everybody is armed with different qualities that stem from their culture, right? If you were to take Americans, no offense, right, that only know baseball, only know football, you know, and, uh, you know, have lived in a tiny town like Minot, North Dakota, and you put them in there, they'll still come up with more solutions than the Ukrainian room, okay? All of them that are like, you know, uh, you know, eighth generation American from back in the day. They, they founded the state of North Dakota in 1889 together, whatever. Uh, you know, whatever. And you put them, they still will come up with more solutions than the room full of Ukrainians or full of Frenchmen or full of, you know, uh, Germans. Why? Because they still have different aspects of culture as Americans, you know, a mishmash, right? Even though they're all like, you know, straightforward. Oh, we just came on the boat from America and our descendants are from like forever, ever, ever in the back. But it's only 243 years. It's infant. So infants do what, guys? What do infants do? They're totally intrigued by dangling diamonds. They like to explore things, right? So as a nation, being an infant nation, we like to explore things and push the boundaries. Ukrainians. You know, there's deep-seated cultural things with Russia, Mother Russia, from back in the day, from being in the Eastern Bloc, not being in the Eastern Bloc, being a Christian nation, being influenced by the Muslims, being influenced by the crowns. There's like so many eons of history. You can't even touch that, okay? We don't have eons of history. As a nation, we don't have eons of history. We got 243 years of history. And 243 years of borrowed things that we are recreating on our own because we're an infant nation. And this is why we boomed. We got industrial booms. We developed so much because we did so. But we cannot understand the mindset of an old person, can we? Can you understand the mind of an 85-year-old person if you're not of age? If you're like a 243-year-old, can you understand the mind of, you know, a Highlander that's been around 8,000 years? Of course not. That would be insane. It's almost like saying, I want to know the mind of God. Nobody can know what they think. You can assume, but you're an infant. You're a rookie. You're a rookie. So how... 
do we have people that are rookies making statements like, you know, like, who is this Tiana Lowe? She writes for the DC Examiner. She talks about, you know, she's like a host. Um, you know, I, I mean, come on, you guys. She's going to talk about culture. Seriously. Culture is something you can't learn as an adult. It's not something you could be thrown into because no matter what happens, you're still going to wear the socks with the sandals in Europe and they're going to know that you're not part of them. You're still going to cut your steak in little pieces instead of one at a time. They're little things, little nuances. You know, you know how Hitler found the American spy and his group guys from the way he cut his steak. Do you know how we catch people? Okay, so if you want to know who a plant is, right, you look at the way they respond. Even the way someone holds or flicks a cigarette can tell you what area of this planet they come from uh, when it's natural. Uh, the hand movements that someone uses, those are cultural nuances. You know, uh, you know, everyone's like, oh, Italians speak with their hands. Yeah, they spread them out, you know, outward when they speak. Whereas Greeks are more closer to their face and figurative and they use them, um, closer to the face. You know, these are little nuances or how the French, they will use their hand, but it's usually the left hand. And you're just like, what? Cause it's a cultural thing. So when you're in the United States, do we have ticks like that? I guess we do. We have accent and ticks that you know and, and phrases that go from around the nation, right? So what tells you, what do you know about Vinman? Vinman was raised as a Ukrainian-American, right? He became an American leader. He was Ukrainian. He supposedly was chased out. He wasn't. The only reason they left back then is because the USSR was dropping. And so they came here because the USSR was dropping. For her to say, he fled as a Jewish refugee. Shut up. Hitler was way gone by then, okay, first of all, okay, first of all, and Jews were never chased out of the USSR. So he fled because the USSR was going down because we said so, of course, right? So we said so, they came down, we even had jihadis, we had Osama bin Laden move the Taliban for the Russian jihad through Chechnya, like it was a hot mess back there. You know, it was a hot mess. So they fled to avoid the mess that was going to come. Come on. Can you imagine that you're living in an institution where you depend on them to feed you, clothe you, tell you what job to do, put your power on, give you the heat, and you just follow orders, and then suddenly you know that floor is going to be taken out from you. It's like the floor is lava, and you're like, oh, my gosh, like, what do we do? That's why they left. This is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen, the most idiotic thing that I've ever seen on the Internet. And, you know, to claim that he doesn't have allegiance to Ukraine, he 100% does. And anyone out there that refutes that is an idiot. And I don't care how small-minded that makes me sound. I'm speaking from, how do the, the socialists say, from a point of privilege. Because, for example, like I said, I'm Greek-American. I was uh, born and raised within this nation. I support the United States of America 100% first. But I would always be the first to say, all right, that's like where my line is. Because then it's too personal for me. This guy was getting really personal. He believed that whatever they were doing with the Ukraine was supposed to be helping them. He was nothing but a tool. And the thing is, this is exactly how terrorists operate. They believe in their mind that they are helping their people.
right? Their people being Muslims, their people being the people that spread the word of Muhammad. For him, it was his people, the Ukrainians. Okay, this is what you need to understand. That's how you radicalize someone. This is why Hitler was successful. This is why al-Baghdadi was successful, because it's a us and them kind of situation. And for him, he saw that President Trump was a them and an us was the Ukrainians because what they were doing in the Ukraine aligned with the Democrats. So it was a lot easier for him to penetrate the Trump administration and violate it. Again, I want to know who the heck does the hiring at the Defense Language Institute? Who the heck, you know, they run background checks like with the FBI and all this stuff before they hire people for military intelligence. Damn it, come on, man, it's 2019. These people have had social media for like forever. Plow that. Plow it. Pull it out. Look at their messages. There's no violation of privacy the minute you sign your life away to the to, to the government to be in the military. Audit every single one of your military in- intelligence. Have people, smart people, that understand culture nuances, you know, that can understand that difference and see which ones are potentially flippers. Vinman, I could have told you from... Day one, the minute he went into the NSC, I, I think I even said it in a conversation with Scott Adams. Boy, this guy is going to ruin, you know, the Trump administration. He needs out. And the fact that he's working under Bolton, which I've told you guys, Bolton is a scary dude because he just wants to get stuff done and he doesn't care how it gets done as long as it's done his way. I've said that before. Not a lot of people scare me, you know, and I've come face to face toe-to-toe with a lot of people, you know. I'm a person that have sat down in the middle of the pool with shakes eating. I've come, I've sat in same rooms with people that have just snapped the head of another dude. Nothing phases me. Bolton phased me. Why? Because he was neutral in how he responded. And to have someone like this guy, he, you know, completely manipulated, easily manipulated, because just like Muslims... Right. That are radicalized. You can radicalize immigrants. That's the problem, because right now I could tell you we probably have thousands of soldiers and Navy men and airmen that are undergoing military intelligence training that are probably sitting in the Defense Language Institute right now. They're undergoing, you know, covert training in different bases. These people are potential flippers. And you could say, well, that's not fair. You know, immigrants deserve to. Yeah, they could do other jobs. They cannot be impartial. They can't. I'm sorry. You know, and I'm saying it as someone that was in the intelligence, you know, area. Okay. I was an intelligence specialist. It's very difficult to be able to discern it too. Because for me, I, I have morals. Those are my foundations. I, you know, if everybody could think like me that was raised by immigrants, but born and raised here and uses their skills of acclimation and localization and foreign nations and what they learn, <clears throat> like I did, the, the world would be a better place. But not everyone has the same moral floors. Not everyone was raised to love this country. Okay, my parents never said, oh, you know, America sucks. They love the United States of America. They love the idea that it stood for. You know, even though my mother took, oh, what was it? 45 years to become a U.S. citizen. 45. 45 or 40, whatever. 45, I think. 45 years to become a citizen, let's say. She never once, you know, 
talked bad about the United States. And whenever I'd be like, gosh, Americans are so stupid sometimes. I want to shake them. She's like, no, they're just really kind hearted. You know, because, you know, people just jump in and follow things. Well, I was talking about the sheeple mentality. And it's it's not like everybody that comes to this nation migrates to assimilate and fall in love with the idea of having golden opportunities. This guy had every single golden opportunity. This guy supposedly served his country. And I'm not going to doubt that he didn't serve well. And, you know, no one's going to flip right away. It's not like you're going to be like, oh, they're flipping now. It, it, it has to be the perfect make. And basically, this is exactly what he did. He joined the National Security Council under the president's, uh, President Trump's administration. You know, and he was the one that voiced a concern on things that are factually rubbish. How is the president asking him to investigate things? Why would he even say that when the investigation started what is it? July that he had the phone call, July 25th. So we're going June, May, uh, April, March, February, January, December, November. So nine, eight, nine months ago, the investigation started into the Ukraine. So nine months later, the president is forcing him to do it when they've already been cooperating from nine months ago. Are you kidding, you guys? Like, this is what they're telling us and we're believing it. This guy is a double agent. And the reason I say he's a double agent is because this is how they groom double agents. Okay? They find the people that are the weakest link. That's how it happens. So Alex Vindman should be made an example of. A complete example of, you know, for how it was done. It looks like, you know, no one is, is calling it like it is. I mean, anyone that is trying to talk about it, it's, it's not, it's not happening. I mean, you know, this Tiana, I, I'm just so upset. When she said that, it blew my mind. You know, she's sitting there talking about a guy that's apparently a double agent. And yet, you know, they said worse about General Flynn who has no alliances with anyone else, who has no other, he loves, you know, um, you know, uh, he loves his nation. He fought for his nation. And, you know, I need people to understand that. And he doesn't have cultural nuances. You know how probably difficult it was for him, no matter how many years of experience my general had overseas, acclimation and localization is a niche. There are very few people on the planet that can do that. I mean, you know, I, I remember working with people that were supposed to be, okay, in their target language, which would be Greek, right? And I would see them operate in places like Suda and stuff, and I'd be like, oh, my God, who the heck gave them the go-ahead? Like, they suck. They don't even know how to order coffee right. They're not blending in. They suck. And Greek wasn't my target language, Okay. Greek wasn't what I was utilizing. Just so you know, even though it's like, you know, I can flip and flop between that, like nobody's business. I was a target language for another and, and, and my Greekness, I guess, <laughs> helped me blend in more with, uh, with where I was going. But loyalty lies in your heart. Okay. And when you have deeply seated 
uh, relationships with your culture and where you come from, it is so difficult to go against it. And it is so easy to just fall in love with it and mesh with it and ignore the distraction as it would be said to you. Um, and so it's, it's really incredible. We need to ensure that we have the right people in the right places. I'm telling you, there's probably someone in Toys R Us that came from an Indian American, uh, from Indians migrating here where the dad worked as a cab driver. The mom was like a seamstress and the guys worked himself up the ladder and, you know, is some big Toys R Us, you know, manager. He has great skills because he manages the whole region. I'm just saying Toys R Us, okay? This is just fabricated. There's no real person like this. But think of the skills he can bring from the cultural nuances being brought up as an Indian American. So that way he can identify where Indians were congregate within the U.S., um, what kind of intelligence strategies they would do. He's been to India many times to visit relatives, so he knows where to, how to drink coffee, how to order it. Uh, he knows the slang. He knows the nods. He knows this. He knows that. He doesn't have to be taught that. He learned it by interacting with his family. And so this guy is completely the American dream, has a couple dogs. Daughters. One of them married a, you know, a white American man. The other one married, I don't know, you know, a Chinese American guy, whatever it is. And he's totally embodied the American dream and made something of himself, sending his kids. That's the guy you want in the White House to talk to you about how to reach out to Mahdi and the Indians. The same thing would go for a French dude. The same thing. You need real people with real skills that aren't tapped in. We cannot teach these skills. And in the United States of America, it is a shame. It is a big shame that we think we can test people on their aptitude and mold them. You know, culture is not learned. It's inner, it's just in your soul. It's just completely in your soul. For me, you know, I think I'm a bipolar soul because I love my hot dogs and my beer at a ball game. I love to do the wave. Totally love the watermelon on the beach. I totally get tailgating. I'm not a huge football fan, but I will watch it just because of the wings and, you know, the the unity. I love baseball. I really do love baseball. Um, you know, I love everything Americana. And yet I also love everything that I come. I mean, I have a long standing lineage. I can't just refuse that because that's in my DNA. It's part of me. And we need to start tapping into that because this is how we get people that do damage to our nation. When we have people like Vinman running around thinking they know what to do, Fiona Hill needs to get a spank. All of them. I want to see Vinman in a brig. I don't want to see him paraded around like he's some hero. So what? You got a purple heart. There's tons of us out there that have purple hearts, that have silver stars, that have everything. That does not mean that just because you have that, you use it as a shield. Because your heart was evident when you went to a foreign nation and you told them how to counter our nation's foreign policy. That is treason. For me, I'd, I'd 
totally throw him in the brig. Like, I wouldn't even look. Asper should be like, yo, bring him over here. Okay, you're locked up. We'll talk about it later. We'll have a military charge. That is how we need to deal with people like this. Because slowly people will start to be acknowledging of the fact, yo, you know what? I'm Somali-American. My parents were refugees from Somalia. I totally do the whole machete and stuff. And I understand the clan thing and whatnot. But, you know, if we're going to have to be going to Puntland, you know, and not stay in this area of Somalia, I won't be able to help. Because, you know, that's where my family is and it's kind of close. I can advise you of stuff, but up to a point. This is what we need. Real intelligence. Real people negotiate. And this is why I like Pompeo. Remember, I told you when I broke down the Greece thing, because he told us what was going on in Syria, right? Remember that. He had... It was another side of Pompeo. I urge you to watch the Pompeo interview in Greece. He had a completely different um, mesh because you know what? He's one of the few people that understands um, culture. And, you know, I haven't, you know, I don't know a lot about Mike Pompeo, but I can pretty much tell you he was brought up definitely in a more diverse uh, environment when he was younger and exposed to cultural nuances to be accepting of such, but being able to so easily mirror it, you know, that is the key. Um, he blended in and that is, you know, a lot of people will be like, Oh, Greeks are so friendly. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're very hard to mesh with when it comes to policy because they're hot headed, you know, and they believe they're smarter than you. <laughs> It's always like that. Same thing for the Ukrainians, though. The Ukrainians are all about what do I get out of it. So that's the key. So what, um, you know, what I want people to take home from this Vinman thing is what he did was treason. But what he did indicates that we have bad health in our intelligence, State Department, and even White House. That's the problem. Because... If you can't be truly committed to what your nation stands for, if you can't be truly committed to what the vision was of this nation to be built, then you can't conduct yourself in an impartial manner. And and that's respecting things. I'll, I'll tell you, there were many times that I sat in rooms with people that did things that, you know, I would never even... Uh, fathom that I would sit in a room with them. There are situations where if you told me this happens, I'd be like, oh man, I'd be throwing things out the window. I would be. And then when I get into that situation, I actually have a better understanding and my reaction isn't like that. You know, it's really hard to learn to respect boundaries. Kind of like I always tell you guys, China is communist. That's fine. Let them do their thing. You know, we can build relationships on trade and keep it simple because diversity makes the world go round. And as long as we acknowledge that, we live happily ever after. The moment we try to change everyone to to be in our image or this globalist image, that's where everything goes tits up. So this is where we come down to the next hour where I have Daphne Barak, who is one of the most... Uh, critically acclaimed, internationally acclaimed. She inter- he, She's interviewed everyone from Michael Jackson to presidents. Uh, she was recently with Imran Khan. You know, at, we've had a great conversation on that, you know, because, you know, it was really hard. I mean, how does he, you know, identify with the Pakistanis? I, I, I know Pakistan. I've been there. So I found it odd that he, you know, is the prime minister and how he functions. Well, what she's going to give you is the exclusive from Rick Gates. So Rick Gates has not spoken to anyone, hasn't told 
told his side of the story and how it all meshes in with the Ukraine. So I'm going to let her take the wheel on this. Uh, she was earlier today on the Scott Adams show because today her book goes live and it's called To Plea or Not to Plea. And I'm really excited for you guys to listen to that side of the story. She's his voice, basically. And, and that's what's incredible because what we have to do in order to get a better picture of what goes on is to actually have the full picture and multifaceted uh, because then that allows us to understand here we go again with the word the cultural nuance of it because every single thing has this aura of it that cultural aspect we would say aura you know the feeling of it you know how you could say oh i had a feeling like this kind of like that so we could get a feel of what rick gates went through how he saw it through his eyes you know is a good guy bad guy you'll find out Right after this short break, we'll have her on with us. See you all in just a bit. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Sess Show. I'm your host, Tori. So in this hour, we're going to be joined by Daphne Barak. Now, Daphne comes to us as, you know, uh, just a fabulous person uh, who's written many, many books, many books. Uh, Chase, uh, you know, um, Saving Amy was one of them. And uh, today her book debuts, CBS just um, kind of put it out there, uh, To Plea or Not to Plea. And this is the story, okay, um, from Rick Gates' point of view. And um, she uh, tells... Um, everyone, how it, I would say, manifested. Rick Gates hasn't told this story, and she was able to write about it and um, tell the world how it all happened. She has great insight on leading us into understanding how this whole Ukraine deal went and how um, it was created, how Manafort uh, came to be. All of these things are in the book, uh, uh, to plea or not to plea. It's actually on sale on Amazon too. And, you know, when people think of the Ukraine, they think of, you know, now we think of Burisma Holdings and Biden. But I want us to just kind of a little bit remind ourselves how, um, the Ukraine was free falling when the USSR fell. Their lifeline, their rigid structure, their, you know, person that fed them, clothed them, told them when to wake up, when to walk, when to go to work, what to be when they grow up, how to study, how to do ballet, everything. It was like literally the floor was lava for all of them there. And that is when people take advantage of people. When they see that they're too immature to understand how to come together, when they're too immature to understand how to um, create, implement, and develop infrastructure for what they wanted to call an independent nation. These are all very difficult things. So people then fall into traps. 
And this is why corruption festers. This is why we see nations that uh, come from breakups of larger nations or recreation of nations. I mean, you know, Yugoslavia is just one prime example, too. Uh, the lack of knowledge in operating infrastructure uh, and then people thinking they're smart so that they can take over um, opens up a can of worms uh, for them to be taken advantage of. And that's exactly what we saw in the Ukraine. So before anything, before Daphne comes on, because uh, we're going to be spending this hour talking with her, I wanted you guys to um, take a listen to what attorney, a little clip, two-minute clip from Fox about Attorney General Barr and how he said, we'll let the chips fall where they may. Hold on one second. Let me get that clip up because it's a it's a really important clip because it tells you what to expect. And, you know, speaking of the Ukraine, uh, that's going to be something that we will be expecting. If it will allow me. There we go. OK, take a listen. OK, hold on. And it doesn't want to. Oh, my apologies. There it is. Unmute. There we go. Here we go. President Trump will be speaking next hour to a meeting of police chiefs. Barr telling Fox News the investigation into how the Russia probe got started is making great, great headway. Durham, who's the U.S. attorney for Connecticut, is in charge of the investigation, and I understand he's making great progress. Uh, as you know, he's a 35-year veteran of the department, great reputation for nonpartisanship. He was selected by... Uh, two Democratic attorney generals uh, to do sensitive investigations for them. He's a by-the-book uh, kind of guy. Uh, he's thorough and fair, and I'm confident he's going to get to the bottom of things. That interview happened. So as Attorney General Barr was saying, and uh, when this podcast is up, I'll try to amplify the volume, was that Durham is very impartial, and he's going to look at the facts. And again, the facts that I've been reiterating is that John Durham has been in the Ukraine since 2018, way before Attorney General Barr's nomination, let alone appointment, and way before President Trump even had a phone call with the Ukraine. So if we want to take a look at the fact, we need the facts. You know, if we look at the facts, we see that the narrative that they're pushing is complete rubbish. And so that's where we need to stick to. Because when you stick to the truth, it always comes out. Now, with no further ado, guys, I'm so excited to have with us um, Daphne Barak, who has the most amazing insight on Rick Gates, the whole Manafort debacle, uh, the Ukraine. I mean, this book is incredible because no one's ever heard this side of the story. So, Daphne, thank you so much for being on uh, on a Red State Talk Radio and joining the Tory Sess Show. Everyone's really excited uh, to hear about your new book. And you're so exciting, Tor. I mean, uh, both Bill and I are so excited to to talk to you. I know Bill is going to be there tomorrow. And I have to say, I don't need to flatter you. Uh, it's not every day that people are so well-informed about other uh, parts of the world, and you are, so it's exciting. Oh, thank you. But um, not to not to say you are too. See, people, um, you know, people don't seem to know uh, a lot about you because you're always behind a book. 
you know, you're just a name on a book, <laughs> you know, and a pretty face in pictures. And one thing people need to know is that she's just like, uh, you know, um, I like to say, except for Antarctica, I've put my foot on every continent. And even though you travel, that doesn't mean you understand where you go. And that's one thing you have mastered too, Daphne, is understanding the nuances of where you go. And this is probably... um your best quality because this is how you can interview people of all, you know, walks of life. I mean, I am, you know, you met Michael Jackson and had conversations with him. I mean, how many of you guys out there are just totally jealous about that? I am totally, but that, <laughs> that just shows that you understand how to have discussions with different people. And that's, that's an incredible quality. So this is probably why your book, um, you know, to plea or not to plea is awesome. I want you to tell us like how you got with Rick Gates, how you guys worked on this and, you know, how it came to be. It was a different process than usually. I mean, you know, I, I, I refused to do Michael Jackson's book. He asked me and, uh, you know, Liz Murdoch, who, as you know, the daughter of Rupert Murdoch, the owner of Fox and Wall Street Journal, and New York Post and I have uh, close friends have partnered for Michael Jackson, Liza Minnelli, and uh, even Abu Ghraib. We exposed Abu Ghraib together. Kennedy is everything. And, um, you know, most of these people, everybody thinks he wants, he or she wants to write a book. And everybody thinks they have a story to tell, which I believe each one of us does. And I really didn't want it. I think they, I changed my attitude when I did the only interview with Amy Winehouse, the late Amy Winehouse. And I was injured um, um, with Benazir Bhutto, my close friend, who went back to Pakistan. So I was stuck in Europe recovering. And um, at that point, um, James Murdoch, who, who was in charge of uh, uh, Sky and, uh, of course, the Murdoch Operation Times, uh, Sun, the Sunday Times, uh, suggested why would I do uh, the only interview with Amy Winehouse. I wasn't sure who she was, and then one day I heard her voice, her songs, and I, my God, you know. And at that point, I didn't think about a book. We were just uh, filming with her and the family for six months, which became a cult afterwards. And then it became like a diary of addiction, which we called Saving Amy. And um, basically, she did ask me while I was filming it, please write my book. Because, you know, uh, she, with, with all these uh, alcohol and, and pills and everything, she lost her amazing ability to express herself. And everybody knows that the second album Amy did was so expressful. And she couldn't. She asked me, and when I agreed at the end and came with a book, she actually made a statement which was so dear, endearing to me, saying, only Daphne Barak can explain my complicated life. So... It all started very differently, and um, this book came very differently. Um, I have been a long-time friend of uh, uh, today President Donald Trump, but I've been always politically involved. I used to be a liberal talk. Can you believe this? Hey, uh, me too. Hey, me too, Daphne. Like, I literally thought that I was all about being a liberal, but there's a good balance, isn't it? Um, uh, uh, moderation, everything in moderation. And that's where people need to understand that America always stood for moderation, which is centrism, never extreme left, never extreme right, just moderation on the mm -hmm. right values. And I, I agree with you. The Democratic I, and, Party is not what we thought it was. 
And, and it's not about really parties. It's just about electing the best person to the job who can lead America and arch. And you have a, a daughter I know, Tor, Tor, and many of your listeners have uh, children and grandchildren. Just a leader who can lead us to the next phase, to the next generations. And we are facing so many challenges financially, economically, uh, security-wise, and everything. So for that reason... When they, I don't know, you know, they always say, very funny, I would like to know when, when you were at that point. And that's how, by the way, my book, To Play or Not To Play, the story of Rick Gates and the modern investigation was created. But I would like to know when you were. Usually say the people ask, where, where were you when Michael Jackson died, right? Everybody knows where I was because his nanny was suicidal at my hotel room in London. It was front pages. Uh, where were you when Princess Diana died, right? I can tell you where I was. I was on my way on a plane to meet Dodi El-Fayed, who died with her in London, right? Uh, where were you when uh, Kennedy died? You and I are, young, are too young, but uh, many of your listeners you would remember, or, or John Kennedy Jr., which I knew. But I would want to ask you, Tor, where were you when Donald Trump announced that he was running for president in June 2015. Do you remember? Yes, I do. I was excited. I was hysterical and I was upset because I was on my way to New York the day after he announced it. So I was packing a suitcase and I was very excited. And I remember Bill and I were filming uh, with Kid Rock. Um, So you have to interview him one day. I love him. People have uh, I love crazy him too. conception he's about amazing. him. He's one of the smartest guy in the industry, and we and he's a has been a friend of mine for years. I've interviewed him when he just you know broke in, and basically um, we were filming with Kid Rock for my series uh, Icon in Their Own World with Daphne Barat. We were filming in Vegas. I was staying at the Palazzo Hotel. I remember Mary Adelson, Sheldon Adelson's wife, asked me to go and see her uh, her clinic. She's doing fantastic uh, stuff for addiction. And as we are relaxing with uh, uh, Lee Trink, who was a manager of, of Kid Rock, and we are with Kid Rock, uh, suddenly Lee said, oh, Donald Trump just announced that he's running again. And by the way, Lee does support Donald, but you remember there was this kind of... Uh, a misconception that every four years Donald Trump is announcing he's running and uh, just, you know, people just thought that it was for public relations uh, uh, goals. But I looked at Lee, I remember Bill was there, and I said, no, 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 no. This time, you see, Ivanka is there, she's doing it. And I said, also, Eric Trump told me you know, way back, my father would be a, a brilliant president. This time he's really planning it. Something is different. So when that happened, uh, it was clear to me that we're going to support him. And, you know, some people, especially we have residences in, in several places, but our primary residence is California. And uh, people were really not friendly to the idea of Republicans to begin with, let alone Donald Trump. And say, what are you doing? You are sweeter of everybody. Uh, you cannot make a joke of yourself. And I said, no, no, I really feel we need Donald Trump. Uh, he's a disruptor. He knows what he's doing. He's much smarter than you understand. We need him. Uh, so 
my uh, relationship with Regate started uh, several months later when um, Paul Manafort was already installed as a campaign manager. Rick was his right hand. And if you remember, Tor, Ted Cruz at that point um, tried to get uh, delegates, at, uh, even if they were Donald Trump delegates, to flip and not to vote for Trump to get the uh, Republican Party nomination. I remember it could that. Have been for, for any award. It could be for lunch, dinner, I don't know, hotels. So they needed really people that are friends and family and people they could trust. And Eric Trump asked, sent me an email, would you like to? And I said, sure, Bill and I are going to be there. And uh, he was very happy. He said, oh, my God, meet Rick Gates. I told him all about um, you know, our long time, long time uh, friendship, I remember, or something like that, and how special it is, and he's in charge of the delegates. So that's how it started. I didn't, uh, it wasn't a friendship. It was like, he was in the orbit. We we are friends of uh, Trump and many of the donors, and uh, we were working together uh, just to ensure that he would be the nominee and then he would be elected. But um, I think afterwards I really met Rick, and I think I describe it in the book, um, when we went a few weeks before the inauguration to then the new Trump Hotel in D.C., the general manager, Mikel, want us to see it, uh, the Trumps introduced us. We just checked the whole idea, and it was a very exciting time. They were trying the balloons and everything for the big night. It was a New Year's Eve. I went with Bill, my husband, and uh, Ed, my, my what we call my genius brother, who is the president of an oil company, and is really the pride of my family. And we went there, and as we finished like a five or six courses dinner, and about to collapse to our suites, uh, you know, we all the team there for the inauguration was there. Tom Bark was uh, heading it. He's a friend of mine. And suddenly somebody says, hey, my name is Rick Gates. We spoke so many times on the phone. So we just became not amazingly friends, but it's sort of like the orbit of uh, the Trump inauguration and like sort of the same group. And then, of course, um, you know, we, we met every few weeks, and then, of course, the world changed for him and for many after Robert Mueller was appointed to investigate what we call, quote-unquote, the interference in the elections of 2016, which uh, it's a narrative you and I don't support necessarily. And uh, basically, there was this very famous Friday in October, end of October 2017, that Everybody was whispering about the first two indictments of the Robert, Robert Mueller team. And everybody in D.C. and all over was guessing who it was. And I guess most of us, I remember Bill and I were flying from San Diego. We took the red eye to D.C. And then Congressman Daryl Isau was a friend of us, was flying with us. And we were just debating what do you think. We, we were both debating about uh, uh, General Flynn, Mike Flynn, and uh, Paul Manafort. Rick's name it didn't even come there. But I must tell you that at that point, Rick did call me on 
Sunday before we took the slide, Sunday morning or Saturday, and uh, basically said, what do you think, uh, do you think, uh, who do you think? It? He was, he, he had a premonition. What do I know? My guess is as good as yours, right? Uh, I said, well, if they didn't raid your house, like Paul Manafort, it's probably not you, but I didn't know that his name would be all over the emails they took from Paul, and I didn't understand the whole game. That That's what triggered me to write the book and do the TV exclusive to play or not to play. I didn't understand that they were looking for the weaker bone, bone to flip on somebody, right? Somebody who has less money, right. somebody who's more Low vulnerable, and fruit. it's very evident would be Rick Gates. Um, like they did to so Caputo and really others. Because the story. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree, Daphne, not to cut you off, but everyone needs to understand that when you're trying to attack a, you know, uh, anything, like picture it as a, you know, you have your leader and then you have all his flanking men, people that are in his orbit. And I use that, you know, it's funny that you say we were in the orbit because that's what I always say on my show. Anyone in President Trump's orbit was up for grabs and anyone that was gravitationally closer to him that was more vulnerable, like you explained, with less money, less ability, uh, they would just come in and shoot them out because then there's less targets. So you can get to the big, you know, prize in the middle, which is President Trump. And this is exactly what they did with Rick Gates. This is how they, you know, General Flynn is not something weak, but Caput, all these people were taken down but as collateral damage. So we agree that he wasn't weak, but they made him weak. They yes. make him financially yes. broke. Yes. They made him like radioactive, like Rick Gates, that nobody would like to, to touch them. They made him weak. Well, that's what they do. They destroy your reputation. They put things out there. Yeah. They, they, they fuel mainstream media, you know, this fake think tanks, right? What else? Uh, you know, an army of trolls, you know, bots, and they just push it out because if they can smear you and taint your name, then nobody wants to be associated with you. And, you know, like and that's it, what happened. You know, right. I have to tell you something very humane. My stop, my, Book is not the usual although I am a friend, a long time friend of Trump. I am his supporter. Bill and I are his delegates. I brought a lot of money into him, into him. I convinced a couple of the biggest donors to give him money. And it's all documented. But it's not a political book. It's a humane book. I would say, what if it happened to you? And when I went there, I saw that uh, as a, a plea deal, that's why it's called it's plea, or not the plea, um, actually, it was called 118 Days because the book was initiated in Australia by the number one nonfiction uh, book publisher in New Holland. And we call it 118 Days because uh, there would be a film about it. And it's really the 118 Days that Rick was thinking to plea or not to plea. But I have to uh, credit Kate Harston, the editorial director of Center Street, who which wooed me, and we became friends. She said, no, it has to be called to play or not to play. And you know you fight for your names or you, not, or you fight for your own ideas, but she really convinced me. And I have to, to tell you that I went on it on a completely humane basis, that what happens if it happens to you tomorrow, Tor, or to any of your listeners? I thought when I went in, oh, it's such a bad position, you will be put like, oh, to choose between cancer and AIDS. No, I was wrong because you don't have any power to choose. The moment they decided that they're going to try to flip you against 
your superior and they want he, the superior to flip against somebody bigger um, and we can just um, um, think it's the president. I, 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 we cannot prove it, but of course it's quite evident. Uh, there is nothing that regates, uh, and Mike Flynn as well could do. Uh, I, I chose, I'll tell you why I chose the story of regates, but there is nothing you can do because it's not choosing between anything. The, the terrible thing about this deal is that uh, you cannot, I mean, you cannot uh, even be, you know, it's millions and millions of dollars. I mean, you have to be a multi-multi-millionaire to afford it. You have to be so healthy to afford it. Look what happened to Paul, to Paul, Paul Manafort. You have to be uh, so strong mentally. I mean, beyond everything, you cannot really do it. And the more, if you look right now at a different case, I mean, but we're talking about a, a case that the government is interested Felicity Huffman and uh, Laurie Laughlin, right? The moment Felicity right. uh, pled great, the moment Laurie Laughlin didn't plead, suddenly it's going from two weeks to 40 years, now it's 80 years, I don't know. I mean, did she, what, did she uh, murder anybody? What are we talking about? But you have no clue what you're facing. So first of all, for Rick, I know, and the book is accompanying him until the moment that he decided to plea, which is a very difficult decision. So for Rick, it was the moment he understood that, uh, okay, I'm, first of all, your first thing, oh, let me fight it. I'm not guilty. We will all do it. Then, oh, my God. Oh, my, it's too much money. It's millions. It doesn't, it doesn't, no, the judge doesn't understand my point of view. And then suddenly when you, you, don't, you don't sign a plea, deal, suddenly the charges were doubled, and then he understood. Second, Daphne, that's, I, I just want to interject one second. So what people need to understand is, um, Rick Gates, Manafort, everybody, and every person that has been a political, you know, political victim, right? Across, you know, federal, state, local level, when the politicians come after you, you have two choices. The one choice is to fight it because you're like, but it's not fair. It's correct. And suddenly, you find yourself in a position where you're like, the truth will set me free. So you stand by your truth and then you get corrupt judges that don't even want to bother that allow crazy charges to be tacked on. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, like they're literally seeking to punish me for something I didn't do. Or you could take the other route and mm -hmm. say, all right, I'll just take the plea so you can get something on my record so you can leave me alone because you're going to take my money, destroy my family. You know how their families have been destroyed. They'd have to sell. They sold houses, stock, everything. And this is how they do it. They weaponize the justice system. And this is exactly what happened. So for people to understand, we're talking, you know, this Russia collusion hoax was created in order to weaponize the justice system against American citizens that did nothing wrong because they wanted to get rid of President Trump. They didn't think she would win. I mean, that's the bottom line. And so Rick Gates yeah. was up against that, wasn't he, Daphne? And not only that, I mean, look at, I, I want to talk about a word that you and I and every one of your listeners would feel uh, affiliated with. Uh, the world is loneliness. And, and the idea is that 
Rick was at the top of his game, right? I mean, uh, you know, people were calling him for tickets for the inauguration. He was the deputy chairman for uh, Tom Barak uh, for invitation, for to try to get me a job at the White House, you know. Suddenly, boom, that Sunday that he, he got, I mean, that weekend, his youngest brother was getting married. And they're very united family, as I understood. And it was a bliss, blissful weekend, and and everybody was, uh, you know, manipulating, you know, like speculating who is, who is, you know, uh, who are these two people who are indicted. And, you know, but he didn't really expect it. He had a premonition, but he didn't expect it. So when that one phone call that you dread came, it shattered his word. And basically at one p.m. that afternoon or something around that time, he got a phone call from his attorney. He said, Rick, I have very bad news. And he didn't even know how to digest it because when it's a special counsel, you don't even know what it means. It's not the usual going order. You don't know what's the, what's the mandate of the special counsel, what the boundaries. And the, the one thing I want to – so the loneliness is this is a guy that I said uh, – uh, you know, after the fact, and, and he became radioactive. I didn't call him for a while. You understand that? It was scary. We were all, I say in the book, uh, to play or not to play, uh, you know, the story of Regate and the investigation, I say in the book that at that day on Monday at the Trump Hotel, it was such a shock to everybody. So, because Rick was very likable. I mean, he wasn't like a, fleshy like Paul Manafort, big suits or whatever. He was just very likable, part of the orbit. And he, he was living at the, at the Trump Hotel in D.C. part-time. So you have this big screen there, and we were all there in meetings, and the world sort of stopped. I mean, Rick was not there because, of course, he was at the FBI building next door, but he was there all over. His photo was all over. Everybody was shocked. And, and his life was interrupted forever, and he became radioactive. Nobody dared to call him. One of my friends, who is the son of an ambassador, was dying to meet with him that afternoon. He said, Daphne, please, please, please make sure he has 10 minutes for me. Don't forget, I mean, he, he was a very, very powerful guy. And boom, he said, Oh, my God, my God, I hope they didn't see that I called him or whatever. It's a very different feeling. And my and the loneliness that people portrayed him as somebody, I mean, months later, as somebody who flipped against President Trump, that's not true because Rick Gates, and the book is revealing it for the first time, Rick Gates said at all points there was no Russian collusion. They tried to get him other things. No, 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 there was no Russian collusion. And in fact, the day he was indicted, he wasn't even prepared, so he didn't have an attorney. Uh, and he wasn't even shown the charges when he went and pled no guilty. And I asked him, why did you do that? And he said, uh, well, I thought the special counsel was only about the Russian collusion. I knew there was never Russian collusion, so I pled not guilty. Now, after the fact, I think the next day, he saw the charges. All of these charges were all about him and Paul Manafort in Ukraine way, way before they came to work for the Trump campaign. And and these investigations were already, uh, you know, happening. And then 
it didn't continue. So what made it such a priority for America to invest, uh, to spend like uh, millions and millions and millions? On something from 10 years ago. Right. And Paul Manafort about what they did in Ukraine like years ago. Well, that's the thing. See what, you know, well, like you said, he was radioactive. The minute you get a subpoena and you're questioned by the special counsel, let's pretend I texted Rick Gates. Suddenly that would give the special counsel the right to get a wiretap for my phone, check my communications, and then they'd find something about me and say, Hey, you stole that lipstick 20 years ago. Come in. We have some questions for you. This is why nobody would talk and the loneliness is correct. People don't seem to understand that the minute they villainize you and they put you in that position where anyone that comes in contact with you may indeed get a colonoscopy from every single investigative authority on the planet right it's 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 horrible That's i would not. hate to yeah so, i would so insightful right it, it's just it's it's You're horrible insightful yeah it's it, it is because yeah. i don't think people understand the power of the special counsel and this is why i said when lindsey graham came out last week and mentioned oh should we get a secondary special counsel i said he was dog whistling to the senators and lo and behold that evening they send a letter asking Barr to recuse himself for a special counsel because the thing is special counsels like you said don't need to honor your rights and have an attorney present. They don't even need to show you the charges. They'll just say, how do you plead? They did that with Papadopoulos. Like, Daphne, you and I have taken international trips before. So if you're flying from Greece, going to the States, you're going to go through Germany, right? So here we have George Papadopoulos mm-hmm. hopping down to Greece, dropping off this cash with his lawyer because, you know, he may have seemed like a low-hanging fruit, but he wasn't dumb. Oh, I'm so glad, you I'm know? So glad he did that. You yeah, if you didn't but I would have done right it there. too. I know. Thank God he went to Greece, Dropped it off, you know, and then flew out to the States with a connecting flight from Germany. So how many times are you on like a Lufthansa flight, you know, via KLM coming to the United States and they give you all those nice little wines because they actually have really good wine in, <laughs> on those flights. And so, right. <laughs> so here we have George Papadopoulos completing at least, you know, 14 hours on a flight, getting nabbed at the airport with no lawyer and being asked, hey, a year and a half ago this day, what did you say? What did you do? And he's thinking, what? Because they thought he would still have the cash on him. So this is how no, they, I mean, it so was glad, crazy. I'm so glad he left it. I mean, like when I heard this story, I said, oh my God. I mean, like it's, it's, it's like such a transparent, you know, trap. Set I mean, up, right. And it's so, it, it's so relevant to, to what's demanded of the special counsel was. But I want to talk to you also about loneliness more. So before we go to the loneliness, they, that you and I talked before uh, privately uh, of the president and the first lady. Also, let's continue about Rick Gates. And I'm sure it applies to Mike Flynn and, and the others. But, um, so you, you were supposed to be this most powerful guy who could end the invitation, who could do everything, was uh, very popular. Suddenly the phone is shutting off. You're radioactive. And um, when I, the moment it it was clear to me I have to do this book and exclusive is when we were sitting uh, and I went to see him for lunch and my, my and I did tell him, by the way, I, as I said, the book is called 118 Days, uh, that he took him to decide whether to play or not to play and he did not want to play. And basically I said to him, Rick, whatever people telling you, and he had pressures, of course, from people who are close to Manafort, don't play. Another, it's normal. I said, whatever you decide to do to play or not to play, it's your problem. 
It's your decision. It's your prerogative. Just tell them the truth because they probably know it. So from then on, whatever you decide, whatever. But I remember asking for a mobile number of a senator that I lost, right? And uh, he had a Rolodex. I mean, people say that I'm uh, the princess of, uh, I mean, uh, God forbid, Hillary Clinton once said that everybody is six uh, degrees of separation. Daphne is one degree. Uh, I'm supposed to be the one who has all the numbers and everything, and that number I didn't have on me. And Rick had, I, can, I have to tell you, Tor, an equally impressive uh, Rolodex, uh, you know, uh, his data on the phone was amazing. So he gave me this number, and then he's looking at me suddenly with realization. Well, I have all these numbers, but I cannot use them. Nobody's going to take my call. Could you imagine the change in his life, the becoming so radioactive? I mean, it, it just that's the time I understood what happened to their life. And before I go to the loneliness of uh, the first couple, well, I'm, I'm very uh, uh, proud to be long-time friends, but, uh, and you are huge supporters, we are. Um, there is also the loneliness about him because the media, which he was not allowed to talk, and, you know, some left-wing media really uh, uh, had their own agenda. Other media is doing the right job, but they didn't have the information because they couldn't talk to him. So they portrayed him as somebody who flipped against the president. He did not. And he could not reach out to the president to say, I didn't flip, because if he did, it will be obstruction of justice. So think the walls of loneliness building around him. And think also about the president who is waking up every morning and he has, and he finds out that people that he has helped, um, he see like Omarosa and others, you know, writing books against him, taping him without his knowledge and everything. Just think about the degree of, of, of loneliness. And, and then they also think, and they don't know the truth, that people like Rick Gates and Mike Flynn, which I did not talk to, but it, it, we know um, that whatever you find in the Mueller report was only part of the whole investigation. So things can be out of context or in another context, which wasn't meant to. So suddenly, think about President Trump, how he feels. Oh, my God, everybody's betraying me. Besides the things that we know, like the books and the tapes and, and all these tell-all books, there are people who did not betray him. They just, I mean, Rick did tell his truth, but it was never against Trump. But he couldn't relay the message. And yeah, he can't. It, 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 he can't. Been, yeah. it was killing him. He couldn't, and that's why they did it. Yeah, yeah but that's why they did it, Daphne, because they were like, he's going to try to get a message to him, and then that's obstruction of justice. We got him. Because they were talking impeachment before he was even elected. They were looking for excuses, yeah. and what's shocking is is that this has been going on for three years, have cost all of us taxpayer, you know, almost $50 million. And we have the mainstream media foaming at the mouth, making up these stories, hoping that it would get to it. Like, that is the problem. You know, the loneliness. Oh, gosh. You know, General Flynn, you know, when I cried, I'll tell you what, because I know the General Flynn. He was my general. He is the one person, you know, when you're sitting in one of those embassy get-together things, 
out of the whole room, it was as mm-hmm. if he was a beam of light and I just gravitated toward him the first time ever I was in his presence. And so I could tell you that he is full of goodness. His life destroyed. Rick Gates destroyed. Numerous people across forever, the nation. Forever. Right, right, right. How right. can you walk back on that? Well, you know, and I think it... They, they, look, it takes look a different kind of person. Right. Everybody, they all first of all made sure that they all first of all charged them for lying to the FBI. Which they so created my, traps. My, uh, my, my, my colleague on CBS News, which, you know, I, I respect completely and uh, is a family to me, asking me, Daphne, how could we believe Rick Gates? He was found uh, that he lied to the FBI. So uh, he's a convicted liar. And I said, well, all of them, Papadopoulos, Flynn, whatever. They made sure they convicted them, they charged them with lying to the FBI. Then they have stigma for the rest of their life as liars. But in the Mueller report, they used all the time what Flynn and Gates said, and they said at one point about Rick Gates that he's a very credible witness. So it's a paradox, right? It is, and that's what they do. They just want to get anything. They could get them to say, oh, you committed fraud. You lied. This is how they have weapons and ammunition against you to shut you down. And, you know, the only thing people in that position can do is be like, all right, so what? You're corrupt. You're a liar. And people will either believe me or they won't. But you always have the stigma. And that is exactly how this swamp works. I mean, you know, Rick Gates. You know, with 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 Rick Gates, I can almost guarantee you he probably was put in the same trap as General Flynn. I'm telling you on the lying thing because I said over a year ago. Rick is very fond. Rick is very fond uh, of General Flynn, and in the book he speaks highly of him. And by the way, Rick was shocked when Michael (laughs) Cohen said that he never seeked for a job in the White House. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Mike Flynn was uh, was crying on his shoulder publicly at the Trump Hotel in D.C. So how can you go and say that? Right? Well, I mean, you know, it, and can I tell you about and, and talking about loneliness? Can I tell your listeners a, a very funky story? It's airing tonight on Extra TV. Um, yes, it, please. It's very funky. Please, so, please, uh, you will love that. Please, so, uh, one second. I just want people. One, one second. I just want people to understand. Rick Gates, General Flynn, Papadopoulos, and even the President of the United States right now have been thrown with like permanent marker type forever mud. And this is just an attempt to, to create this social attack and bring them down. And they have not been able to do that honorably. So they've been doing it dishonorably for three years. And this coup, because, you know, they've been talking impeachment before he was even elected, is still continuing and forever evolving. Um, and you should get this book. It's on sale now at Amazon. If you want to hear it from Rick Gates, don't believe what the mainstream media tell you. Don't believe what your neighbor tells you. Don't believe what your stupid little forums tell you. Listen to the people. I've always said that. Listen to your president. Listen to Mike Pompeo. Listen to what they tell you. Don't listen to anyone else and then sit there and create your own opinion. So on that note, okay, Daphne, spill. I want to hear everything about this. And by the way, I'm so with you and Tor. I always say knowledge is power. I mean, Let's give them, let's give them information. Then everybody is equally educated or smart as you and I to make their own decision. But let's give them the information. I mean, uh, Rick Gates, the, the person that uh, was, uh, the media made to believe that he flipped against Trump did not. It's so simple, but people just didn't know. Now, talking about uh, loneliness, uh, also, so uh, first of all, I want to tell you a funny story about 
disloyalty. And it's not funny, but it's funny. And it will air tonight on extra television. And uh, let's say Omarosa. So Rick Gates is uh, recalling, uh, like he couldn't remember how, nobody remembered how Omarosa got her very senior role at the Trump campaign, which led to the White House role, right? So it's a convention. Bill, the nasty, and I were uh, uh, 10 of the super, um, sorry, delegated large of California for Donald Trump. I mean, we were running around, let alone Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, Jared Kushner, Eric Trump, and everybody, right? And uh, so Rick recalled that uh, Amarosa came to him and she said, oh, I talked to Paul Manafort. I told him that I'm ready. To, to, you know, start a, to become a big part of the campaign. I'm all ready to come, uh, and I'm here. And uh, Paul said, yes, you are, you're set. And Rick said, whatever he said, he's running around. Whatever he said, oh, okay, okay, we'll talk later. Um, then um, she goes to Paul, I spoke to Rick, and uh, he said, great. And uh, she throws name, Jared, and Eric, Jared Kushner knows, and Eric knows, and, of course, they all know me. And, you know, the family was actually very, uh, very welcoming to her. They, they tried to, to, uh, to, to accommodate her. They trusted her. Uh, and then, you know, at the night, suddenly, as they all uh, compare notes, and Rick said to Paul Manafort, well, Omarosa came. She said she, you just, uh, you know, approved that she would have a key role in the campaign, and she was doing a press release. And Paul said, what? I didn't end. Like, you know, I understand the giant and everything. Like, nobody knew what was going on. And at that point, it was too late because they found out that Omarosa had been already very proactive, and she did send a press release to everybody about her own appointment at the Trump campaign. And the press release was phrased by her or sent by her. So, uh and that was the beginning of a very, uh, a, I'm sure, painful uh, journey to both Donald Trump and Melania because they really did welcome her. And as I said, Lara and Eric are friends of mine. I remember Lara was so uh, painful uh, when it happened. Katrina Person is a friend of mine. Lynn Patton is a friend of mine. They were all caught so uh, off guard. Off guard yeah, <laughs> off guard completely. Yeah. I mean, you and I, I mean, it's not even about politics. Just imagine you're helping somebody, somebody's taping you and writing a book against you and whatever. But uh, that's the idea. But about loneliness, I also want to say something nice. So Bill and I see uh, President Trump uh, every several weeks and also the First Lady. And, um, you know, people, I, people really don't know uh, anything about the relationship and they shouldn't it's a private marriage but i can tell you the, the good news a really very respectful relationship she melania is not just a beautiful woman a wallflower i mean donald trump respects her a lot he asks for her opinion he wants her to shine it's not only that he's uh, trusting her loyalty he knows she doesn't have any other interest just to have him shine and have his back but she doesn't have any personal agenda. But he also likes her. He also trusts her judgment about people. And um, 
one of the anecdotes from the book is you remember the uh, crazy Michelle Obama plagiat, uh, uh, you know, quote-unquote mini scandal when Melania had a beautiful appearance at the convention. She opened the convention the first night and some people suddenly, oh my God, she stole a few words from Michelle Obama's uh, speech. First of all, between you and I, a tour, as you know, uh, Michelle Obama's speech was also quite resembling uh, a speech of Eleanor Roosevelt. So let's not get over Yes. Five, oh, right? my gosh. I said that, too. That's so right. People don't seem to remember that. People forget history, don't they, Daphne? And they just make their own up. Oh, it's go. so convenient. It's so, but mm-hmm. some, people focus, some people don't know history and some people... They just don't want to know history. We are on the same page. Selective history. But, you know, so Rick Rick is actually uh, describing a very endearing moment. That uh, So that's the first time we heard about the name of Rick Gates publicly because he was never seeking for uh, publicity. He liked to be behind the scene, the man behind the scene. But some people blamed him that he didn't prove the speech. So he was, uh, that's when his name came up. So Trump, uh, Donald Trump, uh, flies back from uh, Cleveland as that Monday after Melania's speech uh, back to New York, and he calls Rick Gates. And Rick is witnessing such an endearing moment. And it's like a crisis time, but Donald Trump, instead of taking care of himself, instead of thinking about himself, is all trying to console Melania because she feels that, oh, my God, I, I ruined the convention. It's the first night. I ruined it. I, it. And he said, no, baby, you look so beautiful. Darling, you look so beautiful. Melania, all he cared about Melania's well-being, which she did look beautiful. She did made a, a beautiful impact. Uh, but, I mean, that's an endearing moment between uh, both of them. And I mentioned it to the president and the first lady, Manifa, a private conversation. I'm not going to repeat what... As I said, I saw the body language. It's a very uh, intimate and truthful story. And it shows um, that it's a very healthy relationship. But what I also found uh, watching them in private events and talking to them in private uh, situations that um, there's, you know, all these people betraying their trust, uh, making them closer than ever that I'm sure they were, but also they just trust each other. You feel this kind of loneliness, like this kind of, who do we trust? I mean, there have been a huge gossip in one of the, uh, in one of the times that I've spoken to the president a few weeks ago, not the last time, the time before, in one of the clubs, and he just asked me to whisper to his ear for like a whole uh, 25, 30 minutes, because he didn't want people to read my lips. Could you imagine the imagine the 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 feeling that he doesn't even know who is reading my lips or his lips? It's a terrible feeling. There are wonderful people who support him and the first lady, but he doesn't know when when is the next. Surprise, you have an anonymous book coming right now, right? I know. And, and you know what? That's that's something that I put forward to my listeners. Sometimes, you know, when I see things, I say, could you imagine being the president of the United States right now? He wakes up in the morning, he sits up in the bed, he looks at Melania, and he's like, should I drink that glass of water? Do we know who put it there? 
Can we talk? How's Baron doing in school? You know, and, and worried about who's listening, what they're doing. You know, did I brush my teeth right? Or are they going to say that I am losing my mind because I like to wash the bottom rather than the top first? So, uh, this is, you know, the, the, the loneliness and that you're like, getting to. Also people, also people who, who are part of Trump's orbit are being, uh, affected. Uh, for example, our friend Sean Spicer. I, uh, I put him uh, together with my very close sister, Lisa Gregorich and Teresa Cofino, the bosses of Extra, and they are doing lots of things with me, wrapping me to a huge special. And we have been sisters with Liz Murdoch for years. And the way suddenly the media decided that Sean Spicer should not have a job just because he was uh, associated with Donald Trump, it's crazy. Yeah, People that's... don't know that the guy... No, no, I was right? going to say, you know, no, you're right. And guys, in her book, um, you know, uh, to plea or not to plea, which was 118 days of him thinking, do I just comply and just take the hit or do I die defending myself? And I know a lot of you out there might say die to defend themselves and being someone that is dying to defend themselves, not a very nice role, right? Not a very good position to be in, but you try your best and hope for the best because you believe in truth. Now, having being faced, you know, with a monster, like what faced Rick Gates, I think it's important that we listen to their stories and, you know, uh, something really telling is, you know, with the plea deal that Manafort had, he wasn't allowed to write a book, right, Daphne? Am I right? So that was pretty weird. But Of course. But by the way, that's a very funny thing that it's not funny. Uh, it's uh, it's this uh, bewildering story that uh, part of the plea deal they cut with Paul Manafort, people tend to forget that it's not only Rick Gates and Mike Flynn who cut the plea deal or George Papadopoulos. By the way, they walked back on, on all of them. Rick is facing his sentencing in two weeks, only conditioning that he behaved himself and spills the beans against Roger Stone, which he doesn't want to, right? But um, to to get uh, what they've done, they did make, they did get Paul Manafort to cut a plea deal after the first trial. I mean, the poor guy, I mean, he, he doesn't want to... Uh, a, you know, die in jail. So basically, uh, what what he says is that uh, basically when Paul Manafort, uh, they walked on Paul, what backed on Paul Manafort, right? So, I mean, it's, I want people to understand that a plea deal, which I didn't know, it's not only that you don't have any power to choose because you don't. You don't. Unless you have $100 million in the bank and the best doctors in the world and still you'll end with 80 years uh, uh, in jail potentially. Uh, you, you don't have any chance. But also it doesn't have a timeline. I mean, if you, Tor, if I give you bad news today, Tor, you have to go through a surgery, right? So you, you, would, ask the, you would ask the doctor, oh my God, so what is my recovery time they will tell you three years three months and in two months you can walk and in one month you could whatever here there's no timeline they when just do it book, yeah. we put the, we put the date because we saw but rick has been testifying against paul manafort which he by the way he did not want to voluntarily it was really gladiators whoever die whoever bleeding more the other one survives secondly right. And and it's very cruel. Right. Uh, secondly, 
he was in this Craig whatever uh, trial, which was, by the way, the guy was uh, acquitted. And now they want him to testify on the third trial, which is Roger Stone, which, of course, why would he want to do that? And, and you know, it can go on and on and on and on and on. So there's no timeline. So it's not only that if you cut this plea deal, it, it, it's you don't have any rights. By the way, whatever the judge decides, neither Paul Manafort, nor Rick Gates, nor Michael Flynn uh, can ever appeal because that's part of the deal. You waive your, your right to appeal. They can walk back on you after they got the information like they did to Paul Manafort, right? Right, and and um, I just and it can go on for five years. You know right. how many trials they can ask Rick Gates to continue to to testify. I know, and and guys, um, we're gonna have Daphne back on at some point tomorrow. We're gonna have Bill Nasty, who has a fabulous book, and you guys know that I've been talking about Turkey for a very long time. Uh, talks about the relationship between the United States and Turkey. It's gonna be insane. It'll be on tomorrow. Um, follow Daphne Barak. She is on Twitter and she is incredible. On that note, uh, Daphne, thank you so much for being on Red State Talk Radio. And we can't wait to have you back. Really. I mean, this is, this was oh so exciting. Oh um, and sadly, and sadly, sadly, Torrick Gates would be back in the news because the Roger Stone trial, which would be very public, you know, Roger Lasseter. It will. Show. Would be would start in November six. His Rick sentencing is coming right after. I guess it's depending on it. Uh, and then Mike Flynn's sentencing is coming in December, which is trying to get the case dismissed. And I totally. Uh, I think it's going to uh, happen. Support him on that. Yeah, I think it's going to happen. So basically, we'll, we'll have a lot. But Tor, I just want to tell you, you don't need my compliment, but you are such a, a full of, of positive energy. You are full of knowledge about the world, and uh, uh, both Bill, who is going to be tomorrow on my show, on your show, and me, found find you fascinating. Well, same here. And everyone, plea or not to plea, uh, now out uh, for sale. Daphne, thank you so much. I can't wait to have her on, guys. And that little tidbit of Omarosa was really juicy, wasn't it? On that note, everyone, I want to thank you for tuning in to Red State Talk Radio. God bless, and I'll see you all tomorrow. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye.